0: Why is there so much confusion about what is true? And how do we navigate the crisis we face not just in the world but also in the church? How do we know who or what to trust? Join us today as we answer those questions with Father Gerald Murray, author of Calming the Storm: Navigating the Crisis Facing the Catholic Church and Society. I'm Father Dave Pavanka, and I'm president of Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio, and you're watching Franciscan University Presents. Stay with us. Franciscan University presents. I'm your host, Father Dave Pavonki, and I'm president of Franciscan University of Steubenville, and today we're discussing how to face crises in the church and society. I'm joined by our regular panelists, Dr. Regis Martin, Professor of Systematic Theology here at Franciscan, and Dr. Scott Hahn, the Father Michael Scanlon, Professor of Biblical Theology in the New Evangelization here at Franciscan. We are happy to welcome our special guest, Father Gerald Murray, Father Murray is a canon lawyer, a media commentator, a parish priest in the Archdiocese of New York, and he is also the co-author of the book we're discussing today, Calming the Storm, Navigating the Crisis Facing the Catholic Church and Society. Welcome, Father.
1: Thank you very much. Great Great to be here.
0: It's a great blessing to have you here. So why this book at this time?
1: Well, this book actually started with the man next to me. Uh, Professor Scott Hahn contacted Diane and myself and said, would you be willing to do an interview book? And uh, Diane had done an interview book with uh, Bishop Athanasius Schneider uh, called Christus Vincit. And that was dealing with his life, but also his apostle as a bishop, and then particularly dealing with uh, secularization in Western mm. society. So that was a good book. Both Scott and I endorsed the book. and. Uh, Then when he approached us and said, will we do the book? I knew Diane already. I said, sure. So that's where it got started. But I guess the background of that is I've been doing TV commentary, Fox, EWTN, for a number of years. So uh, I've gotten used to try to explain in understandable ways how a Catholic should approach both crises in society and in the church. And then, you know, what is the positive answer that the church gives when a crisis occurs? Right.
2: Right, beautiful. I think that... Is the key, the positive answer. You know, we're not ostriches burying our heads, you know, and ignoring the bad news, but we have to recognize that the good news is all-surpassing. And, you know, we had uh, done a book with Ralph Martin, uh, Church in Crisis, and that was a lay perspective that was giving us a prophetic perspective that represented a supernatural outlook and it just struck us, it struck me at the time. We had given you the Defender of the Faith Award up in New York City mm. a year or two before. But the, the positive, the supernatural, that approach that is much more constructive than just tearing down right. and, and criticizing. Although there's a place and a time for that as you yeah. point out throughout the book. You know. But giving hope and at the same time making sure that hope is realistic. Yeah. The book
3: is uh, filled with admiring reviews of your work. Uh, And uh, let me just paraphrase one that struck me, that you bring a certain clarity of uh, conviction and confidence, plus uh, it's all informed by charity in truth. Mm -hmm. I mean, that conjunction is really indispensable. We have to speak the truth, say what is, Mm -hmm. but it has to be seasoned with uh, ample amounts of
1: of charity. Amen. No, it's true. Yeah, I agree. That's I learned that from my parents. they <laughs> are both lawyers, and yeah. you don't make your case by simply getting angry. You know, you have to convince the judge or the jury yeah. that you're in the right. So and you're a canon lawyer yourself. Yes, indeed. indeed. Comes, oh, yes. You come by
0: it naturally. <laughs> that. Well, Father, maybe, maybe just the title, Calming the Storm. Um, what is the storm? It's obviously from Scripture. Where, how did this come about, and, sure. and how do you give us that clarity to be able yeah. to see what's going on?
1: Yeah, Diane Montagna actually suggested that we use the incident in the life of our Lord when he was asleep in the boat as they're crossing the Sea of Galilee and then was awakened by the Apostles. So, it's sort of applicable to the life of the Church because for the last 50 years in microcosm, but really we could say in the Western world since the Protestant Reformation and the Renaissance, Christianity has had to answer a critique that is rather devastating Mm -hmm. Uh, devastating in the sense that many people who were calm believers historically in the past now feel that they're intimidated. You know, Christianity doesn't match up uh, to modern man's expectations. So the storms uh, that we're facing do have a history, uh, but the answer, of course, is what is the nature of revealed religion? Because everything else that it critiques is a philosophical or a political critique Mm -hmm. have their place in life. But a supernatural religion, a religion that is revealed, has an authoritative basis that goes beyond anything you and I can say. So we try to say, what did the Lord reveal? How was the church taught that? And then how does that answer modern critiques? And you, and you would
0: say that that's really at the heart of the problem, is this no sense of divine revelation, no sense of understanding of the objective reality, that that if you were to kind of boil it down. that's. There the was major a major crisis, or one of them?
1: No, that actually it goes hand in hand. There's a loss of faith in reality yeah. and in the intelligibility of creation, right. no. and man's ability to act properly once he knows what creation is. So that's on the natural level, supernatural level, it's reducing religion to your opinion of what right. Jesus said, no. and not, you know, what the church your teaches. Your truth, yeah. With, yeah, exactly. Your truth. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, people say that's nice for you, Father. Yeah but you don't expect me to believe that until I'm convinced of it. And I say, in one way, yes, you, we need to convince you, but number two, you've got to believe that being convinced is a good thing. Yeah. Right, right, giving right, up right, your opinion right, might right. be the best thing. No, you that need, that you know? loss
2: of objectivity, I think, is really the thing that subverts the faith. Right. I know as a former Protestant, you know, uh, you look back on historic Protestantism in the 16th century, and it's probably 85% uncommon with the Catholic faith, but then it's breaking apart. And so by the 18th century, Friedrich Schleiermacher in his famous work on the Christian faith basically reduces divine revelation to religious experience. Mm. And as important as it is to experience Christ, the Christ event in our experience is not the anchor. It's not the foundation. And, you know, you retrieve this idea of metaphysical realism, which sounds somewhat abstract or abstruse, but it's not. You know, it really is a description of the foundation that every believer needs to recognize it's objectively real but it's divinely authoritative and it's available to the lowest layperson as well as the highest cleric you know that the title of your book uh, uh, intrigued me uh,
3: i grew up in the 1950s so i've got about 10 years on you mm. <laughs> but many of our experiences sort of dovetail we were in rome i've been to dartmouth uh, i'm also irish but not <laughs> 98%. 98% like me. <laughs> There's some German blood uh, running through me. But when I grew up, it was understood that one of the rights of the Catholic Christian was to remain secure in his faith. But since then, we've witnessed the routine and egregious violation of that right. So there is a storm. It's everywhere. But we shouldn't be surprised. I mean, this is prophetic. Jesus told us <laughs> there will be tribulation. Yes. But be of good cheer, because I have overcome the world. I mean, th- th- that's 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 sort of uh, comforting to know. It's just that us complacent Catholics from a long time ago never thought it would be this bad.
1: No, you've got an excellent point there. And, you know, one of the things I think about going back to the Protestant Reformation is uh, the notion of private judgment, that some of the Reformers, their basic doctrine was the Holy Spirit will inspire each believer to read and understand the Scripture correctly. And that's a direct contradiction to what the church teaches, that it is the church who authoritatively explains things and corrects and guides. But private judgment has morphed into our uh, time as what the dictatorship of relativism. So if I think it's true, it's true for me. And then what do you have? People say Jesus meant this, he meant that, or I don't even care what Jesus said. One of the notions that strikes me nowadays is people accuse the church of pride by saying we know the truth. Right, yeah. And they basically say a humble church which would be like a humble Jesus would never impose right. or propose definitively anything. Right. That's a caricature of reality. Right, sure. yeah. And that's really if Jesus didn't say I'm the way the truth and right. the life yeah. Maybe you're right, but he did
0: but he that. But he did that, right. Yeah. right. The tomb was yeah, I mean, empty. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the
3: claim that Christ makes is absolutely unprecedented. Yes. You know, before Abraham came to be, I Abraham. am. He arrogates unto himself the very words that we assign to God, mm-hmm. the I am, who am. I mean, that's arrogant, uh, it, it would seem to me, at a, at a human level. Where does he get off making claims <laughs> like that? He's either blaspheming or he's a lunatic.
2: Mm-hmm. But in fact, it turns out he's the Word,
3: yep. the Logos of God.
2: Believe him. I love the scene from the Gospel that the title is based upon, and the subtitle, too, Navigating the Crises Facing the Catholic Church and Society. My only regret as editor and publisher was that we couldn't get that artwork because Ah. we had just published a book with the exact same artwork. But this is also, I think, illustrative, but when you go back to that Gospel scene and you meditate upon it, you realize, okay, on the one hand, he's asleep in the boat, and so when he gets up, when they awaken him, before he rebukes the storm, he rebukes them, you know, because of the storm that is going on inside of them. But, you know, on the other hand, the inside of that boat where he was sleeping was not dry. I am sure there was a lot of water coming in. There was a lot of natural reasons for agitation and anxiety. And so, if Jesus just simply said, you know, he says, be not afraid. But he doesn't say, you have no reason to be afraid. Mm. You've just got a better reason to not be and not give in to that fear.
0: Right, in, in that they were with Jesus and there was still the anxiety. So how do you, how do you yeah. speak to that, that in the, midst of, yeah. in the midst of the storm, it's where we find ourselves, right? And, and how does one approach that? How does one be confident that Jesus actually is there in the boat with them?
1: Yes, well, it's natural to have anxiety when, um, you know, a situation in which faith was flourishing is now a situation in which faith is diminishing. Right, so people yeah. who are older like ourselves and um, my parents' generation, you know, they often say to me, the Catholicism I experienced in the 50s is right. unrecognizable today. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, we have bishops in Germany, for instance, teaching opposite what the right. scriptures say, opposite what the church magisterium says. Not just saying, well, we have to try to explain this better, saying we have to deny what was formally right. taught. And change the we have to territory. rewrite the catechism. So, when, when that comes up, you say, paste, yeah. Yeah, you say to yourself, okay, is this the same Catholic church? And right. the answer, of course, Jesus is uh, with the church. We're, we should be upset when people do wrong things, but what do we do? We turn to the Lord, which means we reaffirm His doctrine. And then we have confidence, well, somebody will hopefully convert back to the faith. Others might not. I always meditate on Judas when I'm thinking about crises in the church. Mm-hmm. The yeah. one Jesus picked as sure. one of the twelve. Sure. Yeah. What did he end up doing? Betraying and then killing himself. So there will be tragedies in the life of the church that shouldn't undermine our faith that Christ is with us. Right,
0: and I think to your point, Regis, is that there's never been a time that there wasn't. Mm. It's never of a been classic Right. right.
3: right. Yeah. Now, I, I don't want to anticipate the march of your argument, but it yes. does strike me that as shocking and really obscene as events are in Germany, uh, perhaps equally so is the fact that so little seems to be done about it. That would have been unheard of uh, during the reign of Pius
1: XII. Well, and this is, you know, uh, my mom always talks about Pius XII, you know, <laughs> as someone she grew up in, in yeah. that era. Uh, he It was clear uh, that the duty of the papacy was to teach the truth yeah. and to refute errors. Correct. Yeah. Uh, and then to explain, see, the Catholic Church doesn't simply say you're wrong and then walk right. away. Right. We explain philosophically the premises, and then the scriptural references, the theological points. Yeah. Um, so what happens now is that Pope Francis thinks, and he said this quite clearly, that we have to make a mess. He yeah. says, you know, yeah. a ser Leo in Spanish. In other words, let there be controversy, let there be division right. in yeah. in opinions, let people speak freely. He's making a calculated gamble, in my opinion, saying sure. that the truth will defend itself. Right. I would say we're not all theologians, you right, know. Right, right. Grandmas who tell their grandchildren, you know, don't engage in homosexual activity, even if a bishop says so, uh, you know, they feel very uncomfortable sure. With them when right. the pope doesn't back them up, so that, and that's I, a problem.
0: And I think what you were saying earlier, Father, was really important is this idea that your truth is your truth. Mm. But we're seeing that within you know, conferences of bishops, right? Yep. That, that the German bishops are saying this, and we just, there was the document that just came out recently from a, a 120 some odd bishops that signed it, right. that, that challenged that, which was welcomed, yeah, the fraternal and, and necessary, and necessary, right. Right? right? So, but there's even this division that's like, well, what bishop are you gonna listen to? This bishop says this, bishop says mm. the Holy Father says this. Uh, I think we're in the middle of a storm,
1: that's a storm. Yeah. And you know, um, we, we look back to the Aryan crisis, we look back to different periods in church history uh, when bishops uh, were, went astray and the mm-hmm. faithful, you know, St. Athanasius was exiled right? Uh, and, a lot, and his fellow bishops didn't come to his support, so... Yeah. Um, and he stood contramundum. He stood he was contramundum. Absolutely alone. yeah. So there's no shame in saying, I'm willing to contradict those who oppose the truth of Christ I'll explain to them why they're doing it if they don't care to listen to me I'm just going to remain faithful mm-hmm. and if yeah. they punish me for instance if, if I were a priest in a German diocese the chances are the bishop would step on me because mm-hmm. I'm saying right. don't do this right uh, but so be it mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. what's the worst thing that can happen uh, right. people get mad at you yeah, yeah okay.
2: you know well, I'm, lo- I'm locked in on this gospel scene because I think yeah. it's just even more appropriate than I realized uh, you know some people describe the um, the drama of history, and in particular church history, in terms of a pendulum effect. To me, that's facile. Mm. I think the boat that is rocking back and forth, taking on lots of water, facing the storm, after you had experienced the calm, is a more apt metaphor. Because, you know, you do look back to the 50s, and I, I find myself fighting a nostalgia for a time that I wasn't Catholic, you know, mm. in terms of Pius 12th and all of that. But I also have good friendships with church historians who indicate that given what they know about church history, that's actually an exceptional period, Mm. you know, where you have Fulton Sheen and you have, you know, people playing priests, you know, on the bells of St. Mary, Mm. and it's all so favorable. You know, that is actually a kind of Arthurian period like Camelot for Catholics Mm. in America, when in fact, you know, you go back a century and the, the struggle between the Italian Catholics, the Irish Catholics, and the German Catholics over, you know, turf in America, you know? Mm. The Josephinum is founded to protect the Germans from the Irish and all of the rest, you know? But the one thing that you don't see, even in those turbulent periods, is this questioning of, of truth, of yeah. doctrine, of morality, of the natural law. You know, and this strikes me as being perhaps more reminiscent of 1789, the French Revolution, where the eldest daughter of the church, you know, the most stable of all of the European Catholic countries, is suddenly declaring all-out war against the very faith that gave it life, you know. And you, you, I, I don't want to over, you know, dramatize this, but I do think that those disciples had very sound reasons for being agitated. Yeah. You know, one remembers uh, John Paul, too, his frequent pastoral visits
3: yes. to a place like France, mm-hmm. and he would ask insistently, what have you done with your baptismal promises? You are the eldest daughter of the church, and it looks as if you've betrayed her. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's pretty sobering.
0: Well, stay with us. We're just beginning to get into the topic. Uh, thank you so much. Stay with us and Franciscan University Presents.
4: The way out of the crisis of the church is to teach the fullness of the faith and to do so with confidence and conviction and to express the life of Catholic prayer and charitable living in a way that is consistent with our faith. Calming the Storm, Navigating the Crises Facing the Catholic Church and Society by Father Gerald E. Murray and Diane Montaigne. Walk in the footsteps of saints and martyrs on a Franciscan University pilgrimage. You'll explore the treasures of your Catholic heritage in the Holy Land Poland, France, Austria, Italy, and more destinations. Find out more at franciscan.edu slash pilgrimages.
0: Welcome back to Franciscan University Presents. We're discussing how we can deal with the crises in the church and society. One of the things you talk about, Father, is uh, loss of the sense of reality, and, and maybe speak to that. What does that mean?
1: Yeah, well, um, it's basically the idea that modern man has come up with, which is that everything is subject to his changing it or or his designation. In other words, reality doesn't exist until we decide what it is. The church teaches the exact opposite. God created everything, and when he created man in his own image, he gave him the ability to understand that creation and put it to good use. So, you know, the command to go out, to prosper, uh, to multiply, yeah. you know, to dominate the earth, to, you know, bring it under cultivation. All of that was an indication that God put rationality into man so that he could cooperate. Rationality, with yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, yes. Right, yeah. What do we have now? We have people who say, I'm a ma- I am was born a man, but I'm really a woman. No, I
0: just read an article this morning, and the author was saying that the individual uh, who he was writing about was assigned at birth male. Mm-hmm. but his, Right. I mean, if, if those basic things that we... Right, right, yeah. Yeah, but this, agree, this, but yeah. it's this chaotic. This I mean, is, if,
3: if a Supreme Court justice doesn't know what the hell it means to be a woman right. without
1: consulting a biologist, right. then I, I think we're in, we're in deep doo-doo. Sure, and the ironic thing is the reason she was there is because the president right. said he wanted to appoint a woman, so yeah. he knew what a woman was right. when he, when he right. named her yeah. uh, to that position, but yeah. you know, the idea is that um, the way creation is yeah, is an obstacle to human pride. So human pride can overcome it by claiming everything is malleable, right. plastic, changeable. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, we we do this particularly in the age of the sexual revolution to try and pacify people who have serious psychological problems yeah. and then moral addictions, immoral addictions I mean, yeah. their their moral sense has been stu- uh, stunted by sin to try and pacify them, make them happy, but you talk to any good psychologist who deals with people, this is just another flight from reality and confirming yeah. people in that is only gonna make their Absolutely. condition worse.
2: It's, it's so much more than a hallucination though. It feels more like a cultural tsunami, mm. you know, and when you're facing a tidal wave, it's probably a good idea to trace it back to the underground earthquake. Mm. And I remember as an undergraduate philosophy major, I was an evangelical Protestant wrestling with Hegel and Kant and Marx and Nietzsche mm. and this idea that everything is really based upon a will to power, a will to pleasure, that the will. And then the second year, I took a course in medieval philosophy and read Aquinas. And it was like, wow, the clouds had passed. And he expresses so well the idea that the soul has intellect and will. But to coordinate what you know and what you choose and love, you have to subordinate the will to the intellect. The intellect knows reality as truth and then feeds that to the will that chooses goodness because truth and goodness are convertible. But if you flip that around and you begin with the will, then your will is going to force your intellect to basically transform reality, to conform it to what you want. And it's like, all of a sudden, everything fell into place. It's like I could trace the tsunami back to this Mm -hmm. philosophical Mm -hmm. earthquake that occurred. And like, we've got to get back to a kind of supernatural common sense. Well, the the genius of
3: St. Thomas is that everything begins With the senses. What do you Mm -hmm. see? Smell, touch, taste, hear. The material world, it's real, it's palpable, God made it. I mean that's the the prime metaphysical truth upon which I think all of sacred scripture opens. The world is a created place, therefore it's meaningful. It has logos inscribed in it.
0: And we live in a society today that says actually ignore that. I mean literally what do you see? I see a male standing in front of me but person wants to identify so we, we if we can get away those I mean that's why it's so cha- chaotic yeah. is, is those basic things that we've all even if you didn't have faith you could agree on right. but now it's everything is gone
1: sure and this point you make is absolutely crucial that all knowledge enters through the senses yeah. Yeah. because the new theory is there's special knowledge that some people have right yeah. and, and a,
0: I have to buy into that and that, that, and that
1: yeah. and, yes and the only way that you get the special knowledge because I'm telling it to you now <laughs> and if nice. you don't agree with me then you're causing problems and we're going to have to arrest you or something of that sort. Or or cancel you. Cancel you. They only apply this though in certain areas. No one says when a child of African-American parents is born, he was assigned black as his race. No, he's a black child. I'm a white person. I was a white child. Yeah. I can't pretend to be black. Yeah. And someone who tried to do that was called out. A woman, you know, got in trouble. Uh, Because why? Because God made people white. God made people black. God made males females, we respect that. If you wanna play games, do that in your own house. Don't try right. and force it on the public square. Right.
2: I remember uh, a, pu- uh, a student coming to Franciscan t- for the graduate program in theology. And he had graduated from a public university in Canada. And his first semester was really difficult. He, mm. he said about three weeks into the course, he, he raised his hand and looked around at the students and looked at me and said, you keep speaking of reality but I think what you mean is your reality. <laughs> right. Right? And I'm like, uh, yeah, I mean, it, I want to own it. It is my reality, but it's our reality because it really is reality. its reality to you. And I mean, he was looking at me like right. a museum fossil <laughs> or something. He's like, we'd heard about this kind of thing up in the public university where I came from, but I, I, I didn't imagine that, you know, intelligent people were still saying these things in Catholic schools like this. He ended up staying, but he mm. ended up feeling like the rope in A Tug-of-War, the undergraduate formation that he got, then the graduate formation, right. but through friendships with right. fellow students, he was sort of like awakened to a reality that is not just objective, the merely rational. Mm. Yeah. It really does lead to yeah. love so, and So joy. reality
3: Peace. ceased to be sort of propositional. It becomes experiential. Friendship is real. It's not just a social construct. I'm not just making this stuff up. People really do care about me, and, and they want to welcome me into this real world. I mean, as
2: Chesterton says, there is and is. And the exactly. ising of it is intelligible. Yeah, I mean, even when you say that gender is a social construction, construction workers will tell you, you don't work with nothing. Right, right, you right. You have bricks, you have lumber, yeah. you have the senses, you have the organs, you, you have, have a the plan, body. I
1: plan how to make it. That's right. Uh, so imagine so. treating
3: gravity as though it were a social construct. Yeah. And you step out of the, the 15th
2: well, uh, insane, story eh? and yeah, you there, end up we are. at yeah. the bottom. Yeah, the idea that gender is merely a social construct. That idea is a social construct. Sure. Right. Merely.
0: Well, again, it's, you can't call that out like you stated earlier, you brother. Just, you can't call that out. You, you follow the science, but only if the science affirms what you were trying to get across. One of the things that maybe just for a moment or two, these are all much of the cultural things. but the, the Church has participated in this, and, and priests and bishops have participated in this, in this some way. So maybe speak to that. How, how have you seen that? How have you seen the priests and, and maybe us not stepping up the way we should or right. not being well, as faithful as we yeah, should? Yeah, uh,
1: it's a very good question. It's disappointing when a bishop will not defend Catholic teaching in the public realm uh, with the excuse that it's gonna hurt people's feelings. And this particularly comes up with the case of communion to pro-abortion politicians. And the bishops made an attempt a year ago uh, to address the question of President Biden and his reception of communion. Now, I've studied this question, I've written on it, I've studied the canon law. Canon law has provisions which say, people who publicly and clearly knowingly reject, certain, reject doctrines of the faith and particularly about the sacraments, uh, they are in an objective status that they should not be given Holy Communion. Because the scandal given to the community is, well, the bishops must not disagree with him because they're giving him communion. Right. Uh, And the bishops tried to, you know, approach this, but there was division. And some of the cardinals in the United States went to Rome, and they were able to basically get their way, that the statement would be very anodyne, meaning not that strong, and the president would not be called out on it. And it's very disappointing. I I pray for the president, I pray for all Catholics. This is not personalities. This would apply to anybody. You know, and the the analogy would be during Hitler's reign, if members of the Nazi party, who were proposing the execution and killing of Jews and others were receiving communion to give a good appearance to others, it would be scandalous to give them communion. So that's an area precisely where uh, this relativism uh, is engaged in. Bishops have to be courageous, yeah. uh, like priests, like professors. But it's, it's
3: an exercise of truth in charity, in mm-hmm. love, because we care so deeply about your soul, Mr. President, and you stand in peril of losing it forever yes. that we need to tell you what you
0: advocate is wrong. That's right. But, you know, but That very premise that we care about your soul, that we live in a world and a culture that finds that... Antiquated. It's yeah. the idea of this soul, but again, it goes back to your initial thing is that there, there, there is a reality, there is a human yeah. soul, there is an eternity. And then if, there's a hell, too. Yes, exactly. You know, which right.
1: is the basic premise behind all of this. Nothing you do in this life will endanger your matter. eternal salvation. Right, right. So basically, let's all get along. Because and not God is nice. Each other's God way, God is God nice. Is nice. Yeah. And then you look at Jesus on the cross, did he really go through all of this just nice. so that everybody could get along? Yeah. No. Yeah, yeah. He wanted, as he said, you know. All man, he's calling all of us to follow him. Where did he lead us to?
2: You know, the, the cross. Most, the most basic example of church discipline is found in First Corinthians, and the result of that is in the opening chapters of Second Corinthians. In chapter five of First Corinthians, Paul recognizes, okay, there's a man who's having relations with his stepmother. Mm. Even the pagans know better. Yes. You know, and so even though I'm not there, I hand him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that in the day of the Lord his soul may be saved. And so, Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed and expunged the leaven, get rid of him for his sake. And so, in the opening chapters of 2 Corinthians, the Corinthians are asking him, what do we do? We got rid of him, and now he's repentant. It's like, what do you do? You know, that was the purpose. That's the point, you know. And so, a little discipline can go a long way. It can go an eternal way, Absolutely.
3: Amen. Yeah, the hesitancy uh, on the part of our Lord's spiritual uh, to speak uh, truth to power. I mean, here is a guy who persists in saying, well, I believe the baby is human because that's an article of faith, when in fact it's a datum of biology. And he's not called out on that. I mean, great big bishops allow this to go uncorrected and that to me is
2: scandalous. Laity too, lay voters let it go. No,
1: yeah. it, it is a scandal, everybody recognizes it, but it's, you know, it, the, the, the challenge here is to say the mission of the church is the salvation of souls, yeah. and one of the great means for doing that is instructing people yeah. in the truths of Christ. Yeah. And one way you instruct people is you say, when important people violate church rules which are based on divine law, we don't pretend they're not doing it. Sure. Right, yeah.
0: Do you think, uh, and maybe this is more and we can deal with this a little bit, how do you deal with somebody like the president who, who knows what the church is teaching but just doesn't care? I mean, is it instruction or is it, I think there has to be something that has to be done,
1: right? Well, there's a the charitable rebuke, yeah. you know, which is you basically say, Mr. President, stop coming to communion. If you do, we're going to not give it to you. Yeah. Uh, and don't pretend that you as a great Catholic, that he likes to talk about how important Catholicism is. Right. Don't pretend that Catholics can support the killing of our unborn brothers and sisters. And then goes all the way to Rome and has
3: a private interview with the Vicar of Christ and lies about it by saying, he told me I'm a great Catholic. Yeah. Just continue to do what you are doing, unless the Pope really said that.
0: Well, we, we, We'd like to know. Yeah. And we will yeah. be back um, with more Francis University Presents. Please stay with us.
4: The surest way to stay faithful is to frequent the sacraments. Pray a lot. Study the Bible and Catholic teaching. Live a sacrificial life. Extend yourself for the benefit of your neighbor and do not worry inordinately. God is good and helps us at all times. Calming the Storm, Navigating the Crises Facing the Catholic Church and Society by Father Gerald E. Murray and Diane Montagna.
5: What if you discovered a university with unmatched science, faculty, and programs? place where you didn't have to choose science over faith. At Franciscan University of Steubenville, you'll find faith-inspired, student-focused, research-driven programs leading to satisfying careers in medicine, scientific research, engineering, computer science, and many more science and health fields. At Franciscan University of Steubenville, education is more than just a word. It's a discovery.
0: Welcome back, and thank you for joining us. You're watching Franciscan University Presents, which we record here in the ComArt Studio at Franciscan University. Our students are operating the cameras and the equipment, and our theology professors, Dr. Martin and Dr. Hahn, and I are discussing how we deal with crises in the church and society with our special guest, Father Murray. Um, Maybe, Father Murray, to help just the the, the individual who's watching Mm. this, because I think that there's in some ways A sense of helplessness. What are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to deal with these? These are issues that you guys have to fix, but it's the reality, it's the person in the pew that often deals with this. So, how do we we speak to that person? How do we help that individual?
1: And that's the whole goal, really, behind writing this book and, you know, the apostolate uh, that I try to do with the media. Uh, Well, one thing I'd say, people, first of all, need to be men and women of prayer, because uh, we have to remember, we depend on God for everything. And the fact that he's left us on the planet today to, to praise him is a sign that he loves us. Mm. Number two, we have to study his word, the scriptures, the doctrine of the faith. Uh, and then thirdly, we have to live lives of charity. And one of the most difficult things is to love people who hate you. Mm. Uh, and we yeah. certainly encounter that in society. When I read uh, you know, these proponents of homosexual liberation and transgenderism and all, they actually hate people like you and me, Mm -hmm. because we say no to what they want to do. We can't hate them back. We have to say, no, we love you. Listen to us. If you won't listen, I'm still praying for you. Uh, But we're proposing a route of happiness, because in the end, you know, back to Aristotle, people are all searching for happiness, and the Lord made it quite clear where that's to be found. And that's what the church proposed. So happiness, prayer, study, and charity. Uh, you'll be you'll be more calm in the yeah, evening yeah, yeah, after yeah. you read the newspaper. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> right? You know, you know, in the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus just states the obvious, and that is, if you only love those who love you, you're no better than the Gentiles. Right. You know, and there is a kind of neo-paganism, I think, is what you describe it in the book, but it seeps into not only the church, but my parish and my own psyche. Because you just end up feeling so surrounded, so embattled. You know, I'm reminded of what Austin Rue says, you know, let's face it, we're outnumbered, we're surrounded. What can we conclude that there's never been a better time to be a faithful Catholic? Yeah. If and only if we cultivate through prayer that supernatural outlook. You mentioned the Jesuit, you know, Mm. courage and confidence. Is that how he gets his letters, you know? And that's what we need, but we don't have it. I don't know. I mean, even if you have a positive, rosy outlook and a disposition, mm. you know, that, like my wife. I'm going to, to ask
0: you a tough question, Father. Yep. W- what does that mean to love? I mean, I, I appreciate that yes. in, in charity, but it, it doesn't mean that we never say something that's critical of another mm-hmm. individual. So what, is it, what does it actually mean to love that person that you fundamentally disagree with, or even in the church, that the priest in your parish, your pastor who, who never speaks boldly about moral? Mm. what does it actually mean to love that person?
1: Well, to love means not to reject and to, uh, you know, put someone in a position where you say, you're irredeemable and I'm not gonna talk to you anymore. So to to love, for instance, to love the gay liberation leadership means to tell them the truth and then be willing to accept the vituperation as part of the price you pay. It's hard to love people, for instance, who uh, you encounter in life Who don't want to take sides you know and just want to say well I'm glad you're a practicing Catholic but I'm not going to get in the way of anybody else and you know don't try to influence me too much and the way we love them say well you know there's a bigger picture here you may not see it but I see it we'll talk about it whenever you want Uh, but love means to desire the good of the other and I think you know that's to do it effectively we have to raise those people up in prayer and make sacrifices for them but then also keep telling the truth because in the end if there's a famine In the world today, it's a famine of truth. People just, they hear on the media nonsense and lies, and we have to respond.
3: You know, the people that you describe uh, as the Hmm. fence-sitters, the pro-choice Catholic politician, uh, if you read Dante in the early cantos of the Inferno, he treats them in a witheringly dismissive way. He says, they've lost the good of the intellect. Hmm. He he describes that as coming from Aristotle. But then he says, they're not good enough uh, to go to hell. So they have to be somehow sequestered in this other place, the vestibule of eternity. They have no sense of desire for heaven. They don't want joy. They don't want God. But the devils don't want them because they would somehow, I don't know, uh, lower the tone of the place. They're not good enough to join us in hell. So they're stuck in this middle place and their punishment is to have these wasps chasing them around this circle, this endless circle. And uh, they're stung repeatedly uh, by these wasps. And it's a condign punishment, because all during their life, they refused to take a stand. Mm-hmm. They, they wouldn't stake themselves on anything at all. They are the trimmers. And so their punishment really does fit the crime. Now they're gonna be punished forever. Uh, and because the wasps are certainly resolute about you know taking chunks out of their flesh Sure. All the time. And, and this is, is exactly where these people are going. And not, if we don't love them, we don't say that to them. Love is giving the best that you've got to promote the best good that they have. Yes. So
1: absolutely. you want to tell the truth. And let's say this, contradicting someone can be an act of love, yeah, if you yeah. contradict with the truth and with an encouragement to moral reform. Because we also have to remember the blinding and weakening effect of habitual sin. And that's what we're often dealing with people. So People are addicted to sin, their, their thought patterns get altered, and they don't really know how to change. That's where a contradiction that says, look, what you're doing has no justification, it's gonna result in eternal loss, and you need to get on board here quick. That can be a wake up.
0: One of the stories you tell, Father, that was beautiful, was just the, you know, the mother who comes and says, you know, my son has come to me and, and he says he's gay. And, and there's been a lot of, People that have had to deal with that, and and the the things, the same things you said to, to deal with that person in charity. But that's got to be and, and to be able to call that. out, That's got to be so difficult for the mom and dad. So mm. maybe speak to that, just that that suffering and that pain and that confusion, and, and almost sometimes a guilt that what what did I do wrong? That this is what my mm. child. So maybe speak to that.
1: Yeah, I do remember a case where a, a mom asked me to speak to her son, and he came to see me, and I we had a nice discussion. In the end, he said, well. That's a clear presentation of what the church teaches. Thank you, but he wasn't convinced. <laughs> On the other hand, the fact that he came was a sign, either of you know respect for his parents sure. or curiosity. So in the end, you just say, speak the truth, show that politeness and charity. You know, I think of Mother Teresa, I uh, think of John Paul II. They were doctrinally strong, but they were approachable. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you can do that as a priest, uh, you can parents, you know. Parents who know their children so well can express and need to more vehemently their disappointments, but never do it to the sense that you say, you failed me. No, say, the Lord is the one we have to live up to. I'm praying for you.
2: I think we need a sustained treatment for people like me. (laughs) You know, courage and confidence, it comes, but only with prayer and a little bit of extra effort. Uh, But fear and anger You know, those are the things that crop up within me. I'm not 98% Irish, you know, I'm (laughs) mostly German, but, um, you know, I I must admit that the more I read uh, current events, either in the the culture, the state, the world, or the church, you know, I, I, I can really relate to the people who are fearful and thus afraid to speak out, even when it comes to speaking the truth in love, and on the other hand, angry. You know, this mm. is justifiable anger, but you know, at the end of the day, and really at the beginning of each morning, you've got to recognize that giving in to anger, in my experience, is just throwing fuel onto the fire. Mm-hmm. And not only is it going to burn hotter and destroy things, it's also going to empower the very people sure. I want to disembowel. Sure. Sure. You know, yeah. and and so I, you've got to say to the Lord, take control of this boat, calm the storm in my oh, yeah, soul, exactly. and in the world.
0: No, I think that individual who's able to have that conversation without becoming angry, without becoming bitter, without Mm -hmm. making it so personal and and condemning the individual, the possibility exists for that person to bring about
3: change. Well, the the distinction I think that that Augustine draws is instructive. You have to love the sinner, but you don't love the sin. You must abhor it and do your best to try and disabuse him of, of committing it. Yes, and but we I do,
1: think, we believe in rationality, that's right. the whole thing. Yeah. You this appeal gets, to the better You say, look, yeah. right. we, we share a common language and right. a common understanding, let's talk. Yeah. Try to convince me of your position, I'm willing to listen. That's good, yeah. But, yeah.
0: but I think the other part is that we're, by the media and the culture, we're the bad guy because we're mm-hmm. speaking what's true. But my experience has been, in, maybe similar to yours, in, in walking with you know students and alumni who've graduated that have struggled with these issues, that ultimately, Um, this sounds weird, but they've walked Mm. away from me, you know, that they've Mm -hmm. stopped dialogue with me, and I can always kind of tell how they're doing by whether or not they'll reach out to me anymore, whether or not they respond, so it's a choice and a decision that they made, and and I like to think I'm approachable, but uh, somewhere along the line, they realized the way that I want to live is I can't reconcile that with my faith, and then I kind of represent faith for them, so people are going to walk away from us. Children are going to walk away from their parents, and it's Profoundly difficult. I mean, the number of moms and dads I've had in my office in tears, tremendous pain of which you can maybe speak better as a parent, but that is going to be the reality, isn't it?
1: It is, and um, that's recognizing we're made in God's image. We we have free will. We can make bad choices. You know, that's uh, freedom. Just doesn't mean that I that I'm always right. Um, and as a priest, you basically have to have the attitude. It's Lord, I'm going to cast the seed. I'm okay. going to speak right. the word. I'm going to try to be charitable. Uh, the results are in your hands, and then you'll be surprised. Uh, in heaven, you know, you'll you'll see the fruits. God willing, we get there. Um, but on the other hand, the disappointment that would say, "Well, I'm going to keep my mouth shut because I don't want any more people walking away from me." That's more or less a self-serving motive, um, right. and you know, I. It, I love reading lives of some of the saints who get into arguments, you yeah. know? And you realize, yeah, sometimes somebody needs to hear a word they don't want to hear, yeah. and they're going to get angry, and then you don't try to mollify and say, I didn't mean that. Right. Well, I think
0: we see that in John 6, that when Jesus proclaims mm. the, the Eucharist, that people walk away, and he allowed them. I, mean, I think there's something about us that says, I don't want anybody to walk away from the church, which I don't. Right. But the reality is, is I can do everything right and they're still gonna walk away from right. the church. Well, there's one of
3: the, uh, the reassuring there. things about the Catholic priesthood is the fact that it's always there. I mean, the mm. priest is always there. Uh, he keeps open the confessional. I'm, I'm gonna be here for you, right. uh, I can't force you to come, but if you come, I'm here for you, and I'll do everything I can to mediate the mercy and forgiveness and judgment of God. That That's immensely comforting, I think.
1: Well, it's sort of, the analogy is like the the bakery in the morning, <laughs> you know. I don't go in, I may not go in and buy the bread, but I can certainly smell that it's cooking. <laughs> it's good to and, smell. Me, yeah. and you know, it's, it's attractive, and maybe someday I will go in and buy You know, it. I
3: remember, a, Father Grishel, uh, sharing this uh, conversation he had with, uh, with uh, a, uh, an habitual uh, homosexual who could not quit the habit. Mm. Uh, and he said, look, Father, I'm in a kind of hell, but I want you to promise me two things. One, always be there for me. And two, don't change the rules. Mm. Keep fixed the norms yeah. against what I'm doing. Well,
1: Father Groeschel taught me in the seminary. Is that right? Yes, yeah, so I can imagine him saying that. Mean, that, and it's that. absolutely true. And it's, you know, it's like da- it's like the father, you know, in the parable the, the of a prodigal son. Right. He was there waiting. Yeah. <laughs> he was yeah. looking out. He was ready.
2: Right. I remember him describing also uh, what it was like when he took a kind of sabbatical. He went out, I believe, to California, where he ministered to AIDS patients for mm. several months. And he said, you know, I've heard the confessions of nuns for many, many years. But he said, administering to these men who are on the verge of death in the last few months of their lives, he said, I saw growth towards holiness yeah. more rapid mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. than what I saw in convents. Beautiful. And so you can see the discipline of suffering comes from the God who loves as a father. Yeah. But it's also, you know, something that we have to do on the installment plan because we can't simply wait until they're on the deathbed. Right. We have to really give them that, that aroma of the fresh baked bread that they know will be there when they finally do come to so their senses. Both of those
0: points are so important is that is that the individual who has wandered away, that, that, that there's, there's a place for them, right? That, that they can come back and that they're going to see their father on the porch and he's not going to be coming with a, a whip to whip them, but with a cloak to welcome them back and hug them. And that's, I think that's something that we, yeah, it's a good, good place to end. Good. So next, our panel and our guests will share their concluding thoughts on facing crisis in the church and society. Please stay with us.
4: To deny Holy Communion to someone who rejects the Church's teaching on the right to life of unborn children is the most charitable thing to do. It is the rebuking of a sinner, and a call to repentance, and a defense of the holiness of God's sacred body and blood. Calming the Storm, Navigating the Crises Facing the Catholic Church and Society by Father Gerald E. Murray and Diane Montaigne.
5: There is a place where education begins, and faith and reason connect. Franciscan University of Steubenville's online programs will advance your career through an e-learning experience that's both academically excellent and passionately Catholic. With online degrees taught by full-time professors in theology, catechetics, business, education, and other disciplines, you can earn your master's degree online without changing your lifestyle. Find out more today at franciscan.edu, where your faith and career can connect online.
4: The loss of belief in the real presence of Christ in the Holy Eucharist is a tragic fruit of worldliness and doctrinal confusion. The remedy will come through a combination of prayer, good preaching and teaching by priests and bishops, penance, the reverent celebration of the Holy Mass, and above all, a revival of true love for our Lord who remains with us and has not left us orphans. God is with us in the Mass and in the tabernacle. Do we take that fact seriously? We should. Calming the Storm, Navigating the Crises Facing the Catholic Church and Society by Father Gerald E. Murray and Diane Montaigne.
0: And welcome back to Franciscan University Presents. We've come to our final segment. Uh, Dr. Martin, what would you like to share?
3: Uh, Well, there are so many things. Uh, What a great book uh, that you have written or collaborated with. Uh, I think the journalist who put the questions to you had been a student here uh, a number of years ago. Very impressive uh, young woman. But I was intrigued by one example that you gave of the woman who sent the son to you. You you were to hear his confession, but it didn't turn out so well. But he was very civil, respectful, uh, deferential, but he dismissed you. He wasn't interested. It reminded me of really the most famous uh, confessional episode I've ever uh, encountered. I mean, literary uh, episode. (laughs) Luigi Giussani, in the religious sense, talks about a young man whose mother sent him uh, to Father Giussani's confessional. But this guy was steeped uh, in sin, and instead of confessing his sins or even having an argument with with, uh, uh, Father Giussani, he berated him, castigated him, and said, look, you have to admit, Father, that the real hero of the story is the giant Capaneus." who in one of the cantos of the inferno is chained to a rock by God. He has to spend an eternity there. But God can't prevent him from blaspheming God. And and the giant calls out, you've taken my liberty, but my right to despise you, uh, you have left intact. And I choose forever to loathe you, to scream obscenities at you. And this young man says to Father Giussani, there is the true grandeur of man. (laughs) And Giussani says, wouldn't it be even more grand if he were to adore the infinite God instead of cursing him? And the guy went away, and he was so torn up by that question that all summer long he wrestled with it and then came back and told Father Giussani, I've been frequenting the sacraments for the last two weeks because I I was so unsettled by your question that I just had to think through this, and the grace of God rescued me. And two weeks later, he died in a car accident, but his soul must have gone straight to heaven. He stayed with him. I mean, that's, that's the takeaway line. Mm-hmm. Giussani didn't give up on this kid, even though he's blaspheming and appealing to a kind of nihilistic uh, 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 ideal. He stayed with him, prayed mm-hmm. with him, and uh, left in his heart a question mm-hmm. that just
0: ate him alive all summer long. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Good. Thank you, Dr. Martin. Dr. Hahn.
2: I love the book, and I'm grateful to you and Diana for doing it. Uh, it, it helps me to find Christ. As I read it, and there is the source of courage and confidence, and at the same time there is this awareness that, um, well, I mean, God allows evil because of freedom, but also because of a mysterious plan whereby He brings greater good out of the evil that He allows. You know, you know, you think of Saint Ismus, you know, the thief on the cross who might never have ever met Jesus unless he had stolen and ended up there on the crucifix. You know, and there is a sense for me, you know, I look back on my own thievery as a juvenile delinquent and how it took a long time. It, it took more than a summer for me <laughs> to wake up, you know, mm-hmm. and then it took even longer still to find the sacraments and the fullness of faith in the Catholic Church. But, I mean, we have a source of joy that the world can't rival. And I think at the, at the end of the day, I'm always reminded that The bad news is getting horrendous, faster than I imagine. But the good news is so much more glorious than we've appreciated, that if we can just shine the light on Christ, we can restore that kind of courage, that confidence, that peace, and the joy of the Lord will be our strength. Mm -hmm. A thousand years ago, Pope Benedict IX was simply the worst, worse than Alexander VI or Honorius. And yet he set into motion St. Peter Damian, the Gregorian reform, right. and the transformation of the church was the result of God allowing that kind of evil. And I'm not sure we have anything equivalent to that now, but I'm sure that God will bring greater good out of That's this. Beautiful. That's beautiful, thanks, Dr. John. Father Murray.
1: Well, Father Dave, thank you. You know, One of the joys in my life has been to understand that the truth that Christ brought to the world is for everybody and it's unchanging. And therefore, anything that we teach as Catholic priests is not our own, it's a gift. It's our job to make sure we understand it correctly, but once we've understood the truth then we continue to teach it. I've been inspired by Cardinal Sara, Cardinal mm-hmm. Robert Sara, who is from Guinea, because he uh, was a young boy in a remote village who answered yeah. the call to the priesthood and then went on to his studies, became a biblical scholar, and then worked in Rome for years under Pope Benedict as a Cardinal and he's written three interview books, sort of an inspiration Mm -hmm. for me. And the message of those books is that there is more to this world than we see. Uh, And the Lord has revealed to us what those things are. It takes faith, but it brings joy and it brings salvation. And that message is so important because sometimes people nowadays, I think, they think the Catholic Church has become too political, the bishops are jockeying for approval of the world, Many of the priests don't talk about the things they need to talk about. And Cardinal Sarah reminds us, look, let's go back to the Lord. Let's go back to the faith. He, he came from a, a village of pagans in the interior of Guinea and Africa, and now he's one of the most influential yeah. cardinals. That's a divine providential yeah, moment. Yeah, you yeah, talk yeah, about sure Dismiss. There's yeah. How many of us who knew where we were coming from? Okay. So in my own life, I can say the Lord blessed me with a wonderful upbringing, good influences, uh, but the main thing that I want to communicate to people in this book is: have absolute confidence in the truth of Catholicism. Do not ever think that people who critique it are right, uh, and don't. But on the other hand, don't reject them, love them, and try to help them.
0: That's beautiful. We have a handout. You could learn more about today's topic. Uh, we have for you available a section of Father Murray's book. Calming the Storm, Navigating the Crisis, Facing the Catholic Church and Society. This handout is yours for free simply by going online to faithandreason.com or by calling the number that you're gonna see momentarily. Uh, I I was reflecting on an experience that my my mom and dad had many years ago, and there was a pastor in their parish who who was really participating in just a lot of the confusion and and really actually aiding the confusion and the chaos. And, And my mom and dad, were really faced with this question about, what are we going to do? And many of the people in the parish ended up leaving. They left, some left the church, some left to other churches. But my mom and dad said, we're going to stay. And, and I, I was reflecting, Dr. Martin, when you said that that the, the father stayed with that young man, and it was part of his conversion, that, that I think that that's a part of it. In in the light of that, I'm praying, and, and I hear the disciples say, stay with us, Lord, mm. you know, stay with yeah. us, Lord. And and the reality is, is that the mystery and the beauty of the incarnation is that God enters into the mess. He doesn't try to fix it from the outside. He enters into the mess and he will always stay with us. And, and that's, I guess that's my final thought is that, is mm. that Jesus is always going to stay with us and he invites us to stay with him and to stay with those people and walk and journey with those people who are struggling. And that ultimately, Scott, your point is so, so well taken is that the good news is, is Gooder (laughs) gooder, is better than than any of the struggles, or the calm is much more powerful than the storm. So, thank you for sharing that with us. Amen. Could we have a final prayer? blessing, Father.
1: God, our Father, we turn to you with gratitude for the gift of life, the gift of faith. We thank you for the Catholic Church, for the purity of teaching that our Lord gave us so that we might live as sons and daughters. We ask you, dear Lord, to bless all of our leaders, Pope Francis, the bishops and priests. We ask you, dear Lord, to bless Franciscan University of Steubenville and to give us all a spirit of charity and of truth. And may Almighty God bless you all, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.
0: Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. God bless you.
4: Download a free handout on today's topic at faithandreason.com, where you can also watch past episodes of Franciscan University Presents. Or, request the handout by emailing us at presents at franciscan.edu. Or, reach us by phone for today's handout by calling 800-783-6447. That's 800 800- 783